Everybody, welcome to the Vista. So glad you're here to worship with us today. Uh, if we've not met, my name is Chris. I'm the student pastor here at the Vista. Typically, you'd hear from Dave or Austin, uh, and occasionally you get to hear from Nick, our community pastor, or Sarah, our associate community pastor, or even Jonah, our missions pastor. But today, you get to hear from me, the student pastor. Woo! So let's be clear, everybody. It's not the A team, not the B team, not even the C team. For you Aggies in the room, I'm like the 12th man they took out of the stands to play today. So I'm, I'm just real excited to be here. We, it's been four years since I spoke on this stage. Uh, and we've, we've just got so many talented teachers uh, on staff. And so I'm just honored to have the opportunity to be here today. We just finished the Advent series. Next Sunday, we're going to kick off the new year with our annual Vision Sunday, where Dave and Austin will discuss our vision for Vista for 2021. And the following Sunday, we're going to start a new series on the Gospel of Luke. So Dave and Austin told me for today, they said, hey, we're between series, so just preach on whatever you want. Most 2020 thing you could ever say to a student pastor, right? Buckle up, everybody. It's going to be a wild ride. But 2020, it really, it really has been. It's been a wild ride, right? And I can't believe it is the last Sunday of 2020. And I know in my lifetime, there's never been a new year more to look forward to than 2021. I think we all want to do this right now. We all feel like this about 2021. Yeah, just, just break it down, Yeah. This is why Dave and Austin don't let me on stage, because I always dance, every time. I can't stop, I won't stop, I'm going to stop. Um, but I, I, as a new year approaches, if you're like me, you generally reflect on the previous year, right? What you've learned, the highlights, the lowlights, how you've grown. So that's what we're going to do together today, is we're going to reflect on one of the craziest years ever, 2020. And we're actually gonna reflect on the past couple of decades and the progression that culminated to where we are here in 2020. So every new year, my wife and I, we sit down, we make goals in the categories of spiritual, family, friendships, and work. And then at the end of the year, we go back and we look at how well we did at accomplishing these goals. So this year, it's been pretty funny. We sit down, we look at our goals, and this has been our reaction to every one of our goals of 2020. Yeah. One of our goals was literally, we're going to have more people over for dinner. What were we thinking? Like, had no idea, right? So for most of us, we made plans, we had goals, just to have them all implode starting about mid-March, Right? If you, like, if you were like me, you were asking yourself, what do I do? How do I adjust? I didn't plan for this. And with so many unknowns, it felt almost impossible to make plans that went further out than a day, right? I felt like every week, sometimes every day, this is how we felt. Yep. Murder hornets? Are you kidding me? Right? It was something every day. Last gift, I promise, no more. Um, Overall, as a society, we were not prepared for this year. And as followers of Jesus, 
we were faced with a gut check. Do I have the patience and can I trust God when my life seems like it's completely out of control? See, it's easier to trust God when we feel like, in a sense, we have control over our lives. Because in our control, we feel more stable, right? This sense of control helps us to feel safe and happy. And what 2020 has shown us is that the reality is we don't actually have control. And that awakening has led to a big increase in fear, in anxiety, in depression. And it also has revealed for many of us that our trust has been misplaced. When we say we trust God, that trust has actually been more dependent on our ability to control our own lives than in our God who is in control of all his things and whose promises are true. So let's unpack this a bit. We're gonna be in Isaiah 7 today. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there with me. If not, we will have the scripture on the screen for you. So starting Isaiah 7, verse 1, we're going to go through verse 17. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shurjashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith... You will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since, that, since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So this chapter begins with the fearful King Ahaz of Judah, who's worried about two threats to his kingdom, Syria and Israel. We don't have time to, to jump back and read 2 Kings 16, but in this chapter, it provides some really helpful context. We learn that King Ahaz 
is considering asking the powerful empire of Assyria to help him and protect him and the people of Judah from these two threats, Syria and Israel. So jumping back to Isaiah 7, the Lord sends Isaiah to King Ahaz to encourage him and let him know, hey, if you put your faith in God and trust him, this invasion from Syria and Israel, it won't happen. He doesn't have to let his fear drive him to try to control the situation by asking for aid from a far greater threat in Assyria. In Isaiah, he ends his appeal with, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Isaiah then offers proof through a sign from God. He says, listen, you can trust God. Just ask him for a sign. And King Ahaz refuses. And so Isaiah offers him a sign anyway, the sign of the birth of a child, Emmanuel, God with us. And if you read 2 Kings 16, sadly, King Ahaz does not listen to Isaiah. He goes forward with his plan of asking Assyria for help. And as a result, the remainder of the chapter, verses 18 through 25, Isaiah expresses in rather harsh terms the brutal devastation that will be brought to King Ahaz and Judah through the Assyrian Empire. So what we have here is a king who is anxious, who is fearful of a potential coming invasion, and is encouraged to have faith, to trust in a God who is with him. And instead, he has more trust in his ability to make a political decision in aligning his kingdom with a dangerous ally, and it does not end well for him. His short-term panic led to a poor decision in the pursuit of safety and minimizing risk. Now, there's been a shift in our culture from more freedom to more control, and in that, pursuing safety and minimizing risk. Now, this could apply in a number of different ways, but I'm gonna teach more as a student pastor for a bit and focus on the parenting aspect of this. So if you think back to the 1980s, and if you need some help, you can think, think through some of the movies, some of the shows that take place in the 1980s. You've got the Goonies. Any Goonie fans around here? Yeah, a few. Um, more recently, you've got Stranger Things. You've got the movie It. And in these, in these shows, in these movies, and how it was in the 80s, teenagers are just running around, unsupervised, essentially doing whatever they want. And if you're like me, you're asking yourself, where are the parents? Why are, these, why are these kids just running around unsupervised, right? As a result, teenagers in the 80s, they grew up faster, they matured faster, and also, I'm sure they made a number of mistakes along the way. I've been reading a book called The End of Youth Ministry by Andrew Root. I took the book to Dave's office and I said, this is not good, Dave. I'm not gonna have a job for long, so I really hope this book does not pan out, right? But essentially, the premise of the book is that we all have goods or activities that we're pursuing that we believe will help us achieve our vision or our idea of the good life. So you essentially are ranking or prioritizing what you consider most important and what will bring the larger payoff later. So for example, being involved in extracurriculars or clubs or societies in the hope of building a better college resume. So for youth, 
being involved in youth ministry was once a higher-ranked good, but has shifted due to so many other competing goods that are perceived to provide a larger payoff. And much of this shift can be attributed to the hyper-good of safety through oversight and monitored activities. So hyper-good is a good that is more important than others, but also the basis by which we weigh or evaluate other goods. And so in the book, Andrew Root puts it like this. He writes, in our time, a hyper-good is keeping kids safe so they can be happy now and in the future. The highest moral good for parents in our time is to protect their children through oversight, helping prepare them for the competitive rat race of modern society, finding happiness with who they are in this fast-paced life. That's why activities and monitoring are so important. By filling up the calendar and joining them in all their activities, a good parent keeps his kids from growing up too quickly. Your life becomes your kids because this not only gives you meaning, but also promises to provide a hyper good of their safety, which will produce the ultimate hyper good of happiness. And this all centers on this sense of control. However, when our trust is dependent on our sense of control, which we know, deep down we know is fragile, it makes us more anxious and it makes our kids more anxious because we know that in this world, it is impossible to eliminate all risk. In their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt discuss this idea. They write, parents spending time with their kids is generally a good thing, but too much close supervision and protection can morph into safetyism. And they define safetyism in the book as the cult of safety and obsession with eliminating threats. Safetyism takes children who are anti-fragile by nature and turns them into young adults who are more fragile and anxious. In other words, as much as we want to, we can't eliminate all threats for our kids. And it's actually detrimental for them if we do because it prevents them from developing skills and independence that they will need to engage this world in a healthy, less anxious way. So they've actually done studies and they've discovered that the rate of maturity in teenagers has slowed in recent years. Researcher uh, Jean Twinge puts, uh, puts it like this. She says, contrary to the prevalent idea that children are growing up faster than previous generations did, iGeners are growing up more slowly. 18-year-olds now act like 15-year-olds used to and 13-year-olds like 10-year-olds. Teens are physically safer than ever, yet they are more mentally vulnerable. And we see this playing out. Teenagers are getting their driver's licenses at a, at a far later age. Some even waiting until they, they leave for college. Anxiety, depression, suicide have increased at an alarming rate over the past 20 years. So what do we do? Just let our kids run around, do whatever they want, no supervision or monitoring? All the teenagers in the room are like, yes, preach it, brother. Say amen, let's get out of here. Let's call it good, right? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. So what do we do with all this? I think a big part of the issue is that in trying to grasp at controlling situations, removing risk seems easier than helping manage risk. So I'm a parent, I'm a, I'm a parent of a, of a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And so I, I, I feel this tension. I feel this tension. This is something that I, I've been working through uh, too. Our one-year-old daughter, Emmy, she was born in October 2019. She's lived life more in quarantine than in not. 
And as a newborn, we didn't want her to expose her uh, to too many people, right? It was, it was cold and flu season. By the time she was born, we didn't, we didn't want her to be exposed to those germs. And so about the time that we were starting to bring her out more and letting, and letting her you know, hang around more people was when COVID hit and we went into lockdown and then quarantine. And then it was summer uh, before our small group really started to, to hang out a little bit and, and, and the kids in our small group started to hang out a little bit. And what we noticed was after every one of those um, hangouts, the next day, Emmy was usually had a little runny nose. Occasionally, she'd have a slight fever. And we realized that being quarantined for so many months and not getting out, her immune system was weak. For her immune system to grow and for her immune system to develop, she needed to be exposed to germs. And it's no fun taking care of a sick kid. It's no fun at all, right? But it's more beneficial for them to build up their immune system by managing their exposure than removing all risk of exposure and them having a really weak and fragile immune system. See, the reality is we have to do the hard work of patiently trusting God and relying on Him to help us navigate tough conversations and manage risk with our kids and in our family. This requires building an open forum and having ongoing conversations with your kids about how to engage this beautiful, terrible world we live in. Ongoing conversations, not one conversation, not no conversations, ongoing conversations that will help them grow and develop into adults that have a more healthy independence and even more importantly, a better understanding of who they are in Christ. Now, there is definitely a more appropriate age to start having some of these conversations and allowing your kid the freedom to engage in some of these things, but they can't avoid the internet their whole life. They can't avoid social media their whole life. Listen, I could teach a whole other sermon on social media and, and, and how it's contributed to anxiety. And I always say like, hey, if you can wait till high school, that's, that's great. But at some point, they're probably gonna get a social media account at, at some point in their life. So it's better to have conversations about how to engage it in a healthy way, in a way that honors Christ, right? They're gonna have to learn to drive. They need to understand how to, how to read directions and utilize a map, really just Google Maps and Apple Maps. That's all we use now, right? And they need to know how to respond if a stranger approaches them. The list goes on. You can, this, is, this list is, is, is extensive. And it's not easy to have these conversations, but it helps the development and learning skills and independence and allows them to gain experience instead of growing in fear or engaging these things in an unhealthy, more volatile way. Now, I know I've been talking primarily to parents because, as I said, I'm a student pastor, and these are the trends that we're seeing in student ministry, and I don't get this platform to teach very often. But this idea of trusting our own ability to control our lives and eliminate risk really applies to everyone in this room. We all struggle with this to varying degrees and in different areas of our life, whether it's wealth, whether it's sports, family, jobs, or health, the, the list goes on. Jim Fix, he's, he's credited by many to making jogging and running popular. And he wrote a best-selling book, The Complete Book of Running, in 1977. He was all about fitness, and he was a big advocate of the benefits of being active and how being active actually prolongs your life expectancy. See, Jim's dad, Calvin, he died of a heart attack at the age of 43. And Jim was determined that he would not suffer 
the same fate. So that's what brought on this obsession with fitness. Jim died at the age of 52 from a heart attack while jogging. Jim was convinced that he could eliminate risk and control the outcome of his life by staying active and staying fit. Now, we know like the research is out there, living, eating healthy, staying active, all those things, it's good for you, right? It helps you to feel better, it um, helps you stay healthy, it does, it generally does uh, help prolong your life, right? So my point in telling this story is that we live in a beautiful world, but it is broken. And there is no way for us to, to predict the future or eliminate all risk or control every aspect of our life. And we've all faced that reality this year. No one could have predicted a pandemic. No one in this room's lived through one. And we've seen spikes in anxiety and depression. And I think a big part of it is the realization setting in that we don't have control and we can't eliminate all risk in our lives. And I know that sounds like a real downer. Some of you are thinking, wow, he really did go full 2020 today, right? But actually, I think it provides a lot of freedom for us. I think there's much freedom to be had in giving up control. Realizing that everything's not all on us. Because trying to control every aspect of our lives, that is exhausting. And it's stressful. And it definitely will cause spikes in anxiety. A big aspect of the Christian life is surrender. Surrendering your life to Christ. Surrendering your control to Christ. And surrender has a negative connotation in our culture today. But in Christ, it's actually very freeing and liberating. So in a year that's, that's revealed just how little control we have, we've learned how much we need God, how much we need Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. We just celebrated Christmas, the birth of our Savior, Jesus, our source of hope. Our hope can never be put into something as fragile as our own ability to control our lives. And as we learn from King Ahaz in this insane year of 2020, trusting in our ability to control things is always short-sighted and far less secure than putting our trust in our God who created all, who knows all, and who's over all. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you um, just for your love for us. And Lord, it's, it's so difficult um, in this life to sometimes just, just, just to trust. Um, Lord, when we, when we are able to control things, it, it does give us a sense of security. I know I feel that. And so this year has been quite revealing for so many of us, me included, of realizing that I, I, I don't have that ability to control everything. And when that, when that happens, Lord, we need, we need a constant. We need someone we can trust in, Lord, and know that, that they're with us always, Lord, and, and you give that to us, Lord. You provide that in your son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the promise um, that you never leave us or forsake us. And we can always rest in your promises, Lord, and know that they're true. 
So Lord, help us. We all struggle with this in different ways. Help us to surrender our lives to you, to surrender our control over you and to rest in you in the areas we need it. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.